Hey there, today's episode is brought to you by Chargebee and Vitaly. Chargebee just launched their 2024 State of the Subscriptions and Revenue Growth Report, packed with retention insights and strategies from over 300 of the fastest growing subscription businesses. You can grab a copy of the report today by visiting chargebee.com forward slash churnfm. That's C-H-A-R-G-E-B-E-E dot C-O-M forward slash C-H-U-R-N-F-M. And Vitaly is bringing in a new era for customer success productivity with their all-in-one customer success platform. Vitaly gives you unmatched visibility into your company's health and success. And now you can measure operational strategies on customer outcomes at scale with goals directly in Vitaly. They're also currently giving away a free pair of AirPods to all ChurnFM listeners when you take a qualified demo with them. So if you're in the market for a CS platform, visit vitaly.io forward slash churnfm today to schedule your demo and get your airpods that's v-i-t-a-l-l-y dot i-o forward slash c-h-u-r-n-f-m if you decide to check either of them out please make sure to use the links quoted as it allows them to measure the roi of this campaign and helps me retain them as our sponsors to continue producing churnfm as an independent creator with that being said let's jump to today's episode Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have John Collins, former content director at Intercom and startup consultant and advisor. In this episode, John shares an overview of the early days at Intercom and how they laid down the foundations for their content team with the primary focus on delivering value. We then ran through Intercom's content team structure, how they used events and content to drive adoption and expansion within the user base, and we wrapped up by discussing how the same principles were applied to a different business model with success during his time at Ramp. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, and enjoy the episode. How do you build a habit-forming product? You need to invest. You saw these... these They're not just done for revenue in the door. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest-growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael. And here's today's episode. Hey, John, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andrew. Delighted to be here. It's a pleasure. For the listeners, John is a senior marketing leader with experience in content, comms, events, and community building, primarily in B2B. John started his career in email marketing as the managing editor at Newham. He then moved into journalism as a freelancer and spent over seven years with the Irish Times, reporting predominantly on business and technology. In 2014, John made his way into SaaS at Intercom as the managing editor and left as the director of content before joining Ramp as their head of content and communications. So my first question for you, John, is what motivated you to make the switch back then in 2014 to join the tech company? <laughs> well, I think uh, it's, it's no secret. And I mean, actually, pre- prior to new as well, I had, I had a style in, in the media world, but it's no secret that... Um, yeah, the media business models, particularly legacy media that was trying to transition online, you know, just weren't weren't adding up. Um, it was constantly, you know, looking looking for more, trying doing more work, 
uh, less opportunities for, for growth. Uh, and actually, I worked, uh, interestingly enough, I mean, the Irish Times, you know, was going on that digital transformation path and like, you know, did, did some interesting stuff on it. Um, and I actually got involved in a project where we did an online running course, actually, and I, I ran it and collaborated with sales and marketing on it, which, you know, is not that common in the media world where the editorial side tends to feel a bit sniffy, shall we say, about uh, sales and marketing. And, you know, two things sort of happened. Uh, the, the actual project worked really well. We got 10,000 people signed up. Um, but there was just also, like, it just made me realize that the company wasn't set. Like, it was going to be really hard to go through that digital transformation because it was just too hard for sales and marketing and, and editorial to work together. Um, the best things happened during the project, but also it made me kind of realize, hey, I, you know, having previously worked in, in tech for a period during the, the dot-com boom, that I uh, actually really enjoyed that kind of working. So, uh, yeah, reached out to to Intercom, uh, who were on a bit of a, a role at the time, uh, that just ran their Series B, and, you know, and you own the, the CEO there. Uh, I'd actually said, like, he was a, a business contact of mine, like, when I was a reporter. So, um, yeah, I reached out to him and, and, uh, both Owen and his co-founder, Des Trainer had, uh, a real vision for what content could do for a company like, like Intercom. And, you know, obviously met them and, and, and kind of fallen into that vision and, and, uh, had seven pretty successful years there, uh, helping to, uh, to bring that to life. Yeah. I, I think it's like, uh, when I saw Irish and, um, Intercom, like it made a lot of sense as well. There must have been some sort of connection, uh, there. Uh, I think it's, yeah. It's probably one of Ireland's biggest or biggest successes. Uh, is there anybody else that compares? Uh, uh, certainly in the current uh, current generation of, of startups. But I mean, there's, there's, I think there's like seven, seven unicorns uh, that are like come out of Ireland now. Uh, Irish founded, obviously, you know, uh, Stripe is quite different. It has Irish brands, yeah, so yeah. truly is a, a US company. I think whereas, you know, uh, Intercom was four Irish founders. Founded in San Francisco, but you know, always from day one had, uh, you know, the product was being built in Ireland, and and like I think, I think to this day, I think uh, Dublin is, is the biggest office for Intercom. Even though obviously they have a, a very big office in San Francisco and Chicago, Sydney, London. Uh, but yeah, no, there's a bunch of really interesting um, Irish startups. Uh, you know, and, and actually, I'm, <laughs> interesting every day since I've moved to consulting. Uh, six weeks ago, I've actually did a little bit of journalism and, and, and sort of looking at some of the issues in, in the startup ecosystem here locally. So, yeah, excited to see where, yeah, what, what else emerges from from the Irish market soon. Yeah, I, it's really interesting. Like, I went to Web Summit a couple of times. I actually went once to the Surf Summit, which was a little bit crazy. I think we went surfing in like yeah. the middle of November. Uh, I've never been so cold in my life. Like, I couldn't feel my feet and my hands and stuff. But it was, it was a lot of fun. And I really love like the Irish uh, people as well, like uh, super friendly uh, and uh, really had a good time there. So well, hopefully you had your, your thick wetsuit. <laughs> yeah, it was thick, but they didn't give us gloves or like booties. So, I mean, it just sort of defeated the purpose because that's where all the heat was leaving from. So it was like <laughs> insanely cold. Um, yeah, but so Intercom at a time, and you mentioned as well, like uh, Des and Owen had like really good mindset and strategy when it came to content and they saw the vision i think intercom is actually one of the earlier companies i think that really sort of locked into content and doubled down and uh saw that as a growth channel like what was those early days like for you in the content team and uh how did like things get started so you reached out to her and you said like i want to join um what was next like there was a vision but what was there and how did you get things up and running 
Uh, well, I think the provision was that, you know, Des in particular had written, I think, uh, the first 93 of 100 blog posts on the Intercontinental blog. You know, like this really came from the, the founders. And so, like, that was not going to be sustainable. You know, Des is a big believer in, uh, you know, do things that don't scale in, in the early days. But, like, you yeah. know, it was two, two, just over two years in at Intercontinental at this point. And so, like, you know, the chief strategy officer having to write blog post every week, which he literally was. Like, he had an RSS feed set up from, uh, like the blog to campaign monitor and it sent out an email every Wednesday at 5.30. And so if he didn't write a post, uh, it was gone out empty. So, you know, it was a huge commitment there, but it was like, how do you transition that? How do you then bring in uh, a content marketing team and, and sort of scale that production and still maintain that focus on high quality? Because I think we always had this vision of sort of more of a publication uh, and more of something that like gave value to people rather than maybe a sort of you know, a very SEO-driven content marketing strategy or a very, like, aggressive in terms of conversion uh, strategy. Um, you know, I think uh, HubSpot nails the, 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 the sort of the SEO strategy, but, you know, it, it was... I don't know, like, I have huge respect for, for HubSpot and what, what they've done. I think like, they've, they've, they've really shown the way. But, you know, that model, particularly for HubSpot, I think it's, like, an inch deep and a mile wide. And so... You know, as a relatively small company, uh, you know, with the headquarters in San Francisco and a bunch of people in Ireland, how will we, got, like, how many startups started in San Francisco in 2011? You know, like hundreds probably. And so how are we going to stand out from the noise? Uh, and so it was always that, that focus on quality content that, like, um, you know, the way one of the, one of the guiding sort of uh, principles we had in the early days, which myself and Dad talked about, was this idea Reid Hoffman has, and he's, he said it numerous times that like building a startup is like jumping off a cliff and building, figuring out how to build the plane on the way down. Uh, and our sort of take on that was that actually with our content, it, we can help people even figure out like how to like build a landing carriage or you know put a wheel on or just do anything that like helps them build that plane. Um, we're going to, you know, we're, we're, they're, they're going to value us and they're, you know, they're going to come back to us when they have an opportunity to use Intercom. But they're at least going to give us consideration. And, and so that meant that we created a lot of the content that wasn't, wasn't about Intercom, wasn't like thinking about conversion from day one. It was just like, hey, we know that like Intercom sells to startups and product people. Um, and so we can share what like the subject matter experts internally at Intercom. It wasn't like what John or the rest of the content marketing team thought it was really us working with like engineers, designers, heads of product, all that kind of stuff. And really sharing like, here's things that we've learned about like how to build a company and how to build a product. And that we think will be useful to people who are in the market to buy into I just wanted to give a quick reminder that our sponsors of this episode today are Vitaly and Chargebee. Vitaly are giving away a free pair of AirPods to all qualified demos, so if you're in the market for a new CS platform, make sure to visit vitaly.io forward slash today. You can also grab a copy of the latest state of the subscription and revenue growth report by visiting chargebee.com forward slash and let them both know that I sent you. Now back to today's episode. That's very it's interesting. The longer play. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's very interesting because I think it was a little bit contradictory at the time. Uh, back then, like everything was generating content, it was like top of funnel. We want to try and drive conversions and trying to measure the ROI. Whereas, like you say, it's a much longer play, but with the focus really being on value and what you deliver, I think there's a lot of 
uh, additional value that's not counted for when it comes as well, specifically like people might say, what does content have to do with uh, churn and retention? Uh, but ultimately, like you've mentioned a few different things is one, like you create a really good, strong brand value uh, by just being able to be there when people have a problem or need and then knowing that they're going to come back to when they do. So in one way, that's like uh, retaining uh, potential future users and bringing yeah. them back to your product or service. And then by also focusing on like what is the end value and how uh, can uh, we help our users, like ultimately the more successful your users become, the more successful like your expansion uh, motion works within the company. And there's many other areas I think where you can really start to see how content can be a driver for retention and help increase growth from totally. uh, the other end. Uh, we like we did not think of like content's job was just to get a new customer and that like hey you know what when they become a customer that's it like we knew that like a lot of customers were uh reading our content and engaging with our content and so and that was we we knew that was going to help keep them sticking um so for instance one of the major sort of initiatives i worked on with, with my partner uh megan sheridan who ran events at intercom was we ran a couple of world tours uh and you know we went to cities around the world where we knew there was a big startup community. We put on these shows. It wasn't like a standard sort of mini conference. We didn't make it all about ourselves. We Again, it was very much about lessons learned from from our own journey and, and the, the limited amount of success we'd had at that stage. But like the way we, one of the major measures of success for those events was like the customers who attended, like did they expand their, their, their spend with us in the, in the six months following their attendance? Uh, and they were, they were huge. I mean, people bought into the, the brand, bought into the, the philosophy and like what, what the vision that Intercom was, was, was offering in terms of like how to communicate with your customers, how not to be spammy, how to think about like building products that like actually people, you know, not just get hooked on, but actually get value out of. Uh, and so I think there was like a whole community that, that built a brand product and that definitely helped with, with, um, with, with churn and retention. Um, yeah. So I think that, that, yeah, it was, while content really grew the top of the funnel at, at Intercom, it was not the only way we, we, we thought about content. We thought about it. Yeah. And you mentioned a couple of things as well. It was like the philosophy and um, the way that you positioned as well yourselves within the market at the time, I think definitely resonated a lot with startups at that time. And I think because they had been used to being uh, like this heavy pushing conversion optimization work uh, in front of them. And it was like sort of a, a, a fresh, like breath of fresh air, uh, like seeing content that was just really there true to deliver. And I think that also resonated with a lot of startups at the time saying, okay, like this should be the way, uh, like we're going to be following Intercom. And that way you develop, like you said, this community of users and uh, companies that really buy into the philosophy that uh, Intercom is trying to lead. And how much was that part of the strategy as well? Like when it came to um, when you thought about the content you produce and what you put out? Yeah, I think, I mean, like content was really the way we sort of um, built the brand in the early days. I, I, like I, I had this conversation with a few people recently, you know, and it's like, I think a big problem marketing uh, these days, uh, you know, certainly in the last five years, is there's so many new channels, there's so many things that people are trying to do with marketing that like a lot of startups try and do everything at once. Uh, like they were trying to do all those challenges. And actually, if you look back at Intercom, we were really strong in product marketing. We were really strong in events. We were really strong in content. And with, then we kind of had a, a design studio that worked with us that like were, were, were top of their game. But, you know, certainly I would say things like digital marketing, like paid advertising, you know, we're not as, as, as strong in the early days. And we're not something that like we 
like we we were comfortable with uh you know sort of building some of those organic channels and 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 really really gone strong on them and then the other things came in and followed the other thing i think as well uh, which you kind of touched on there as well is that like we were manic that there wouldn't be a disconnect between our marketing and the product um and probably part, partly because of like what intercom uh d- does in terms of like yeah helping onboard customers and you know, we were all like in terms of the product, building the product, we were thinking about like that onboarding experience and, 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 and what happens there, but just making sure that, you know, we've all been in this experience that like you have this lovely, shiny, beautiful marketing promises the world. And then you get into the product and it's like, holy crap, you know, like 2005 called and what their UX back. And it's like, you know, it's, 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 it's totally different. So we, we always said like that with their marketing, it should see the world, like you should see the world through the lens of your, your product. Um, and, and sort of like the, the same philosophy that's in your product should be in your, your content and your marketing. So for instance, you know, when we thought about, um, we would talk about like good customer messaging on the blog, we would talk about like the needs to be like targeted and focused in your messaging and like right message and right time. I think that was just all the things that like Intercom as a product allowed you to do. Like we literally, it's, it's almost impossible uh, or was almost impossible in Intercom to message all your customers at once because Actually, we don't think you should be messaging all your customers with the same message at once ever. It looks like kind of spam. Your messages should be, should be targeted. And so that kind of, that through line went from like the top of funnel content that we wrote about customer engagement and good messaging strategies right through to what you actually saw in code in the product and like what we taught people during the onboarding stage. And like we had a whole customer engagement team that we, uh, as a content marketing team, like we literally sat right beside them uh, and worked very closely with them. And so I made sure that that, that through line continued and that we were all sort of seeing it in the same industry. I love that because I think this is also an, like another big disconnect and breakdown is when you have marketing promising something on one end and then product delivering something on the other end and this big disconnect and gap between like the marketing fit and uh, the product fits. And as you say, like people get wild and in order of like this fancy marketing site and then they arrive in their product and it's just not there and it's uh, not meeting expectations. So it's really really important that they meet together. And then secondly, also sort of touch on a couple of other things is that the content that you'd been working on sort of it went throughout that funnel during that onboarding stage and helped them um, through that early stage. Because I think this is another area as well when we think about channel retention really like uh, from at least from this podcast, like the number one thing I think people always mention is the onboarding experience uh, when it comes to like how you can influence and how you can impact it. And thinking as well, like content is not just really about this acquisition phase, but it's also about, okay, what can we do and how can we repurpose the content we have to help our customers yeah. and our users with onboarding? How did your team structure themselves in, in, in terms of like the content that they produced and uh, how were you thinking about like the different stages, obviously acquisition being the main, uh, goal of the, yeah. the team, but really like, how was it structured and how are like the pieces then, uh, tra- like translated into different parts of the product? Yeah. So, I mean, I would say that, yeah, but it was definitely about sort of, uh, priming, you know, thinking that like your, your, your top of funnel content is priming people for success later then. Um, so the, t- towards the end, like we, we kind of had like, um, three pillars in, in, in the content marketing team, um, which were like our sort of like brand, co- our editorial content, which is pure sort of top of funnel. Um, then we, we had like our channels team, which were like SEO and podcast, which were like very specific, you know, they worked across both sides. And then it was like enablement, which was the team that thought about like exactly what you're saying there, which is like, we're creating all this content at the top of the funnel. How do we make sure that that content is available or repurposed? Or tweaked so that it can be used by the sales team or so it can be used by other parts of marketing for campaigns 
But then also, as I said, working just really, really closely then with the, the customer engagement team. So that like it from the outside, you shouldn't be able to see like where where have I gone from like been, like sort of being in the world of content marketing to being in the world of customer engagement and making sure that like, you know, intercom sold to support uh, sales and customer engagement. And they were the sort of the, 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 the three parts of the product. And really making sure that like the messaging and how we talked about those different, not even like our product, how we talked about our product, whatever, how we talked about like, how, what does good support look like? Like just how do we think, you know, you should do support, make sure that load all the way down from, from the top of the funnel to the, the actual, to, to when you were in the product, you're using the product. Um, and so that was, again, just, you know, I think uh, a huge part of it in the, in the early days for a company is just having that physical proximity. Uh, and I know this is an unpopular opinion these days with everyone being remote. Uh, and, and maybe if you're 100% remote, you can make it work. But uh, I believe like for us in that time, like it really helps that, that content marketing and customer engagement were in the same office, physical office as, as like the main product builders. And um, which just really, really helped in terms of like making sure you had those, those three lines uh, throughout the world and you just didn't disconnect at some point. Yeah, I can see the advantage of that being uh, in a single environment. I agree with you. I think like um, in a purely remote environment, which is what uh, I was previously at Hotjar as well, I think like you have these established communication lines and like everything is thoughtful and deliberate from the beginning. It works. But if it's like a mix and a hybrid, I think you miss out on these really good connections and interactions you have between departments and teams uh, to create effective yeah. content. I think um, it needs to be 100% remote or are in office, but like hybrid is really hard today. Yeah, I think, and what I loved as well, was the argument David Dominant this year used to make is like, if we have this hybrid model, there's always going to be those like conversations that happen in the corridor that those that aren't in the office are going to feel left out and then they come back and, oh, what happened? Like, it feels like I've been gone for a week and they just missed like the drinks yeah. on the Friday night or. <laughs> I, I found it really odd in the bean as well. Even like the co-founders at the time, they lived in the same place and same city, they never met up. Uh, and the, right. the reason was this was like, they just didn't want to have that, uh, interaction that would cause others to think, okay, like, what did I miss? Like, where have I been, uh, all this time? Um, yeah. So uh, very interesting. I think, uh, like Intercom obviously is a, it's a great, uh, case study to look at when it comes to their content and they did like and your, your team and yourselves did an unbelievable job. I think of sort of like shaping. Uh, what content is today for a lot of startups. Uh, and, and I agree with you as well. Like you mentioned your strengths and I found that interesting as well. Like in the beginning, how did the team go about sort of evaluating where they felt most competent in? And I think obviously it has to do with hiring, but you mentioned like you were really good at product marketing and I agree with that uh, 100%. I always used to like seek into for inspiration, but uh, then you realize sort of like paid and other areas weren't your strong points. Like, what did that look like, that strengths and weaknesses discussion and then deciding on like which channels you really wanted to own and focus on? Yeah, so I think in Intercom, uh, actually, again, it's something we, 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 we wrote about on our blog and probably Des spoke about it at conferences and would have been on our podcast and stuff as well. But just this idea of like, um, actually, the, the, the most famous blog post we wrote about it was called Start With A Cupcake. And it's this whole idea of like, if you are going to set about making a wedding cake, you don't just start like baking wedding cakes and, and, or, you know, or you don't even sort of start making icing and in isolation from like the actual cake makes, you know, itself. You start with like a cupcake, like a mini like thing. So you can actually see like, oh, do these flavors and the icing work together? Do I have like hot spots in my oven? Like you're getting 
the smallest kind of thing that would give you feedback on the overall big thing that you want to make. And, and that was something that we, we, we did r- right across the company. And so, you know, like if you look, look at what happened in, in, in content, I came in and, and I was uh, a team of one for, for the guts of a year. Um, but it was really like, okay, can we create an editorial machine? Can we up the frequency of what we're producing? Can we get more like people from around the company who maybe aren't comfortable writers? Can they work with John and like, you can help get their thoughts and, and ideas out on the, on the blog. Uh, and we saw that worked. And then, then it was like, okay, let's, let's bring in a team. Let's add a podcast. Let's see if there's actually an audience for people to listen to this kind of content as well as like read this kind of content. And so it kind of went from there and it would have been the same. And say with events, uh, we, we started with some small meetups in the office. So there was appetite for there. Like Megan, who I, I mentioned, uh, who went on to become the producer at Web Summit and was like, yeah, has amazing career in events. Like she, she would, she literally ha- had a different role in the company and just like organized some, some events in the office. Um, you know, I, I, not quite on the side, but you know, like it wasn't, wasn't her main role. And so she, the company saw the potential there. She pitched some ideas for, for what we could do. And it was like, yeah, let's double down and invest in this. And equally, I think, you know, just product marketing. Uh, we hired an amazing product marketer as our first marketing hire. I was, I was like actually number two in the marketing team, but, uh, Matt Hodges, who, who, who uh, is at Atlassian now. And, um, you know, he just was great in terms of like positioning and, you know, messaging and pricing and like, yeah, where, where, do, where does, where does Intercom sit in the market and what are people looking for? And again, that was just like, okay, we've shown like the value of product marketing and, and like we can do amazing launches, really impactful launches. Let's hire more product marketers. Um, and so I think it just took a little longer in some of those other channels to, to sort of like do that same thing of like, okay, like, have we got something here that we can double down on and, 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 uh, yeah, just invest in further. Very nice. Yeah. I love that. And the analogy start with the cupcake. Uh, <laughs> it's a good one. And so then, uh, obviously I think like we've spoken quite a bit now about intercom and the journey, and I think it's clear as well, like the impact that the content has had on the company, not only from the acquisition standpoint, but then also really from enabling customers, uh, and growing within, uh, within their accounts. You're now, uh, then you moved as well, sorry, to ramp. And yeah. I, I think that's a totally different, uh, ball game. It's a different product, different audience. And I think yeah. you mentioned all before the show, different ways of monetizing. So. Maybe talk us a little bit about that experience and, uh, sure. Yeah. So ramp is, uh, it's FinTech based in New York. It has been an absolute growth spurt. Um, ramp is like a, a whole sort of like, um, spend management, expense management platform. Um, the people probably know it, like you obviously get a ramp, ramp credit cards. They're during active, uh, they're for businesses in, in, in North America, but like you get it, you get a ramp card and that's kind of like our, our, kind of way into our land and expand our way into the company but then like we have bill pay product uh since i've left so i obviously worked on it before i left but just recently launched a flex which is his ability to to pay bills in 30 60 or 90 days time and, and, and i'm around we'll arrange that for, for, for a fee um but it's interesting the core sort of like card business is based on interchange which is you know obviously when you swipe a credit card uh, anywhere between sort of like, you know, uh, two to 3% of, of that goes back to the card issuer. And so the business model, unlike SaaS, where someone signs up and it's like, okay, you're going to pay us $50 a month until you cancel your subscription. It's like, okay, we've got in there. Now you're going to pay us two to 3% every time you swipe that card or use that card. And so it's got some dynamics of a, a SaaS business in that like 
you know, as you get share of wallet, as we call it, you know, that you're like, okay, during the, the sales process and the discovery process, we, we really realized this company say, spend, spends a million a year on, on cards. And currently we've got like 30% of that. Like, how do we get to 60%? Um, and so that was definitely, you know, um, an amazing growth story. I mean, Ramp, Ramp is, you know, uh, just over three years old, but um, really, as like, you know, pretty quickly, uh, we realized, okay, we've got to, got to figure out, like, how do we move the needle on share our wallet? Because, like, getting into to a company is just one part of it. Like, even think about it when you have a card in your personal life, you know, it's like, okay, I got a new credit card. Well, holy crap. Like, what are all those things that I'm paying for my old credit card? Like, I just cancel my old credit card, like what's going to bounce, what's going to, yeah. And so really thinking about like um, things like doing switching reports, like actually going in, like customer success team, actually going into to, to customers, actually saying, okay, like give us your last three customers, set, your last three credit card statements, and we will help, we will give you a report that like literally makes it easy for you to switch all your all your payments. Um, and really starting to, to, to invest in things like customer education, really starting to think about like, showing people like all the power of, of the platform because like really it really is with ramp the, the the card is almost like a trojan horse you know there's just so much more power in the platform you know replacing things like expensify and just a lot of your like finance stack um, and we're giving you that software for free you know and um, but yeah it's it's like the, the product team are ramp and i think that's probably what they try to be there very similar to, to intercom just like a really high bar for like the, the quality of product they want to you want to build and the experiences of people like I use build.com and I'd intercom and like it, it kind of is that example almost of like, you know, 2005 called and all their UX back. It's not nice. Like very rarely is finance software to people put a lot of thought into finance software and say, like, let's make this like a joy to experience and like create aha moments for, for customers. And if you go and check out ramp.com slash nubs and you'll see if like just on social media, they might have like people are just like, oh, wow. Yeah, this is just so much more, much easier and so much nicer than my last experience. And I think that's that's really a way that like uh, Ramp thinks about engagement and, and, and retention is just like making sure people have these just amazing product experiences in a space where it's not nothing for that previously. Yeah, where there's typically no joy. Um, yeah. I think that's like the the power of like creating a really impactful experience is really sometimes underlooked i think when it comes to general attention and we often like and actually funny enough like today we were doing an exercise with my team at Avrio and we were just looking at okay what are the different stages of the funnel like where do we see improvements and what can we do and uh, like at the end of it it just came down as like, like if we just really fine-tune the experience and deliver these like sort of wow moments for our users like we already have a lot of good love for the products uh, like really really strong mps and just doubling down on that and creating this impactful experience, I think is what's going to drive obviously top of uh, final word of mouth, but then also conversions down the other end. And uh, it's under look now. Actually, I, I looked at Ramp as well uh, myself previously, but then obviously it's only US. It, it didn't suit us uh, at the time. It's interesting what you're saying as well, though, because like I related a little bit to, to SaaS businesses in a way, in the sense that like, say a licensing model, you might sell a license, and you get like 70 seats and then the utilization is pretty low and only 10 people are using out of the 70. Like there's high risk of churn there. But also what you have in your case is really like the expansion opportunity is pretty high. It's like, I yeah. think uh, Ramp, they offer a, like you pay per card or something like that. Is that correct? Or is it free? No, it's it's entirely free. Uh, yeah. So the, and I'd say it's all based on interchange and that's kind of 
like, well, part of the reason there, there's still folks on the U.S. I suppose that the market opportunity there is just just so yeah, massive. Yeah, huge. You know, if you if you move too soon to go international, you know, you can lose your your, your core focus. But I think also like the interchange model in the, in the U.S. where the cards work there, uh, I mean, the business model stacks up pretty easily. Uh, potentially, you know, there's other markets where interchange is like less than one percent, and Raffin gives back one and a half percent on on everything you spend. Uh, it's like trying to be a simpler model than a lot of the like points and multipliers that you got with other card providers. And so I think that like a big thing would obviously have to figure out like, well, what's the business model if you go into markets that don't have those, those high interest entries. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. And, and also like, I think the, 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 the thing that the team they're very focused on, like, is yeah. Like what are the adjacent like business models? So like flex is the first time that. Uh, ramp has non-exchange revenue, and that they're like charging a arrangement fee for for you know you paying your invoice in thirty six to ninety days time, yeah, as opposed to paying it straight away. Interesting. And then the other features you mentioned, sort of like the replacement to Spend Desk and others, like those are um, subscription service, or they're just part of the package if you have a ramp card, like. Yeah, no, that, that's all the software. Once you have a ramp card, you get all the software for, for free. Um, so, um, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty, pretty compelling, uh, compelling offer, but obviously like Spendesk and people are coming to say from the European market where, as I said, the, the business model, it makes sense for base charge. Yeah. Yeah. Receipt. Uh, yeah. Okay. Interesting. And then, so like a lot of the work really is around one expansion. Like how do you get more, uh, users within a company using the car, but then also how do you get users to spend? Uh, more using yeah. those cards and you mentioned things like customer success and so forth so what role did content play uh in this component of really trying to obviously one on the one end just acquiring customers but then once you've actually acquired them uh, i'm assuming as well that's the the opportunity uh yeah. of focusing on them was maybe a lot larger than trying to acquire new customers yeah so it's kind of, kind of interesting because the acquisition is generally you are great content with like to to go after like uh yeah like cfos or heads of finance or even the founder of the company because they're generally the person who go hey we should get in this new solution right um we're, we're frustrated with our current one but actually there's generally a controller or an accountant or like a, a small finance team that actually like worry about things like you know hey andrew where's your like receipts are Hey, Andrew, I'm going to give you a new card or, Hey, Andrew, I'm going to give you like a limit, you know, for you're going, you're going to a conference next week. I'm going to give you a card with a, you know, a set amount on it. And like ramp was like product was really powerful in terms of that, in terms of like, I could give you a new card with like a daily limit on it. Uh, and I could actually even like sort of get down to the category level and sort of talk about like how, um, you know, what categories you could use that card to spend on. And so actually then, if you think about it, so the acquisition content was more, much more focused on that CFO, had a finance, the sort of expansion content was really like opening the minds of the finance team to like, this can make your life so much easier. Like, we know you did not go to college and study finance so that you could chase people for receipts at the end of the month. And so it was like, really edge, trying to edge, thinking about like content to educate them in terms of like, how Ramp could just make their life easier, how, how Ramp could actually save them. In their case, really save them time. And, and like, what could you do with that time? If you got that time back, like how you could be more strategic. And so we did things like, you know, partner did, did research reports and stuff, uh, in terms of like, you know, where, uh, uh, finance teams were spending their time and where they felt like they were spending low value time. Like what would they do if they had free time, more free time every, every month, like they were able to close their books faster and not do a lot of mundane tasks. Um, 
So it was like quite interesting. And then actually a lot of the acquisitions, so I, I had enough content and comms, but the acquisition we were more focused on like PR and comms um, because that actually really moved the needle for, for, for Africa in terms of like we got a big spike in traffic in, uh, after sort of we were in, in the news uh, and a lot of that traffic converted into to new business, like really highly converting. Whereas I, have, I hadn't seen that before in a, in a SaaS business. You would get a spike in traffic, but you know, a certain amount of that will converge, but not, not to the levels we, 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 we saw around. And so then the more like the blog content, the, the more bread and butter content marketing was really actually more, much more about that expansion opportunity. Mm. What do you think was the reason for that? Like, why do you think you saw a much higher converting at RAMP versus other mm, SaaS business? Um, I think it's just a, the, the product offering was pretty compelling. Uh, and like when I joined, uh, Kareem and Eric, the, the two co-founders, they're like, they're all, they're, they're both said, but yeah, we're the, we're the, one of the best kept secrets in, in fintech, uh, which, which they were at the time. Uh, and I think it was just like, because, uh, the, the product hit so many pain points, uh, for, for people and things that they're frustrated with that, you know, once, once we got people to land on the, on the side, um, that, that traffic converted really, really well. Um, and I think, you know, we also, with all our activities as, as a marketing team, actually, we were super focused on like trying to make sure not just that we got traffic, but like what does qualified traffic look like? So almost like pre-qualifying before you talk about MQLs or SQLs or any of that kind of marketing funnel stuff, like just going, like, is there someone in a business in North America? You know, because particularly with SEO content, you can generate a lot of content that generates traffic, but like. You, get, you always get the kind of like high school project problem, as I call it. Like that if you have very basic definitional content for your space, how do you know it's not, not someone who's just like researching a college paper or something versus someone who genuinely is in, in the market for a solution? So yeah, really, really laser focused on that like idea of like making sure that like not just where we generating traffic, but we're generating traffic that looked like it, you know, they were in the market for a, a spend management solution. Nice. Uh, so you're running up on time, so I want to make sure I ask you two questions, ask every guest. Uh, let's okay. imagine a hypothetical scenario. You join a new team, channel retention is not doing great at this company. The CEO comes to you and says, hey, John, like we really need to turn things around. You're in charge. You have 90 days to do it. What do you do? The catch is you're not going to tell me like I'm going to speak to customers or I'm going to look at data and see the biggest pain points to start there. I want you to give me one tactic, like tactical thing that somebody could implement tomorrow that you've seen be effective at other companies. Um, what would that be? So, um, well, first off, I've, you've stripped her in my heart when you said 90 days, because I do, yeah. and I say this to people all the time, particularly with content marketing. Uh, content marketing is amazing, but like it takes a couple of quarters to, to really have an impact. Uh, that said, what I would do is, like I think particularly in SaaS uh, and that whole idea of like constantly iterating and improving the product is that like even people in the company don't know like some of the shit you re- released recently and that like, yeah, probably amazing for customers. So something we did at Intercom was literally we had this, uh, this, this feature we put on the, on the blog every, on the blog every month and actually on, on the podcast every quarter called what we shipped. And it was literally just sort of like get one of the product managers in uh, and maybe like a researcher or someone like, We'll make it more of a discussion rather than a laundry list of like, here's all the things we did, but like really just discuss about, Hey, like we this one's been on the roadmap for ages. We've got a bunch of people who've been asking for it or, Hey, we released this thing and actually came from a discussion with this customer. Like maybe we've you know, cleared it with the customer or whatever, but really just like get a sense of the velocity and like what's like the, the product improving all the time. Cause I think a lot of times people churn. Um, and 
a lot of times you actually have the thing that they're looking for. Uh, you know, I think particularly as, as you get to that sort of mid, 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 midlife crisis, maybe, you know, sales companies in particular, um, that, you know, not everyone is going to go through your change log and to see what the things are, are not like, you know, your, your UI starts to get created and like, you know, it's just hard for people to find what, what they're looking for. Um, so yeah, just really hammer home that message of, and once you start creating that co- content of like what we shipped, you know, you can use that for re-engagement campaigns, like people who ditched her and like, is it worth reaching back out and just saying, hey, by the way, since, you know, it's been six months since you left. Here's all the things we released, you know, you know where we are if you need us. What do you have to lose? Yeah. Cool. I like that. And what's one thing that you know about channel retention today that you wish you knew when you got started with your career? Um, just the, like, just the, the way that actually retention, you know, like 1% retention, you know, you, by bringing retention 1% is going to have much more impact in a year than like increasing acquisition by 1%, you know, uh, like, Every, lots of smart people run those numbers. It's, well, it's probably about three and a half percent. If you increase, you know, acquisition for a monthly product, you know, compound it and, and you know, allow for stay or, or an average churn rate. But like, if you can increase retention, it's going to have a much. It's going to probably have like a seven percent impact on your business in terms of revenue at the end of the the the, 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 uh, the year. So yeah, just you know, like customers are hard to win. Hang on to them, you know, um, uh, and don't be like, yeah, as I said, like at the end of yeah. Don't assume that like, oh, that's just a top of funnel like tactic that like, you know, you can have an impact uh, right across the business with, with all sorts of marketing activities. Like I think marketing generally is just too focused on acquisition. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, I should say like your job is acquisition, but like oh, yeah, yeah. acquisition, yeah, only acquisition. Is it, is yeah. Well, I think as well, like the job is uh, acquisition as well, but at the end of the day as well is to live an ROI on the investment that you spend. So if you can find another way to increase the ROI of the acquisition uh, side of things, it also adds, adds value at the end. Nice. Uh, John, it's been a pleasure hosting you today. Is there any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with or anything they should be aware of to get up to speed with your work? Uh, no, I mean, I'm uh, I'm free and available for consulting and advising gigs. Uh, so. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, John Collins, Ireland, um, JC001JAYC001 on Twitter. Don't ask why. It was a long time ago when I signed up. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, love, 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 like, do talking to some like early stage, Series A, B companies about this kind of stuff. So, yeah, very nice. Yeah, come, come find me. Well, thanks very much for joining. For the listeners, we'll make sure to leave any of the show notes, uh, anything mentioned today in the show notes, so you can check those out uh, later. And uh, really appreciate the time. John, wish you best of luck going forward. Thanks, Andrew. Been great. Cheers. All right. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you are able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you, and you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.
And with that, I just want to say a big thanks again to Vitaly and Chargebee for sponsoring this episode. If you do decide to check them out at vitaly.io forward slash chinfm and chargebee.com forward slash chinfm, please make sure to let them know I sent you because tracking podcast advertising is traditionally very difficult and I want to make sure we deliver value to them both so that we can retain them as our sponsors. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you again next week.